Hello, this is Christian Constitution, and this is the most shocking message on the internet, the most shocking podcast you'll ever hear. Why is it the most shocking? Because I'm trying to shock you? No, I'm not trying to shock anyone. It's going to be the most shocking because you've never heard any information like this. And uh, you're, you're certainly not going to hear it in your big box church that is basically a money-making machine, a cash cow. I don't make any money by doing this podcast, and uh, you can uh, be best assured that it's more trustworthy than the preacher sitting in the pulpit that has to be concerned with what he says in order to make a big living. Uh, this is Christian Constitution. If you'd like to get a hold of me, send me an email to christianconstitution at gmail.com. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, please send me an email. Now, the last podcast I did was about the root causes of the inner city problem. But irregardless, you're going to have these kinds of problems in any, any culture because no one is perfect. Uh, no one has a perfect, sinless culture. So you're going to have these problems. The next question is, what do you do about people in the inner city, like what's going on right now, where they are looting, destroying property, burning property, stealing property? What do you do about these people? The Bible has a solution for this which your church won't talk about. Uh, I've been going to church for 30 years. Not a single church has ever talked about this. Uh, the typical response for most churches is we're not under any law. We've been freed uh, by God's grace through Christ. And so the law doesn't apply anymore. Well, that's the biggest bunch of nonsense that, that's ever been perpetrated on the Christian family. Jesus himself said the law has not passed. Not one jot or tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. That is fulfilled in history, uh, <clears throat> not fulfilled with his death. So because he told his disciples, simply go forth and teach all things that I have commanded you. Jesus told his disciples not one jot or tittle pass from the law and not to go and teach anyone that anything from the law has passed away. So the law is not ended. The Old Testament Ten Commandments have not been reduced to two commandments. When Jesus said their two greatest commandments are love God and love your neighbor, that is a summation of the two tablets of the Old Testament uh, commandments, Ten Commandments. And they themselves are a summation of all of the moral laws in the Old Testament. Now, specifically we're talking about the inner city and the looting and the stealing going on, God's Word addresses what to do you know the question is uh, thou shalt not steal well the next question is what do you do if somebody does steal now it's funny because i've had this conversation with numerous christians people who claim to be christians and i'll ask them real simply what does god say is the proper punishment for theft and the, i bet 50 percent of people i've talked to about that and asked that question to have said uh, chop their hand off? It's like, no, the Bible doesn't say that. But it's amazing how many Christians think that's what the Bible, you know, they have this view of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is cruel. It has cruel punishments. Uh, chopping your hand off is an Islamic law. That's Sharia law. It is brutal. You know, it's brutal. God's law is very just, as I'm going to demonstrate. Now, what does the Bible say is the proper punishment for theft? 
<clears throat> we get this out of Exodus 22, verse 1. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for, an, uh, for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Verse 3, anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for the theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. All right, now the, the goal here is restitution to the victim. Now, some Christians you talk to say, well, they should be put in jail for stealing. But that's not what the Bible says. Now, think about this for a minute. Is it just... For a man who steals another man's property and, say, sells it and then goes and parties with the money, so the property is gone, the money is gone, and we convict him of stealing and put him in jail. Is that just? Well, you, for one thing, the taxpayers, the hardworking people in the culture have to pay higher taxes to house and feed and today give free health care and everything else in the world for free, a free, basically a free legal education. I mean, you can sit in your cell and, and whatever you require, they have to supply for you because it's a violation of your civil rights. So it's, it's gotten out of hand. Is this just, or should the, should the thief pay back to the victim what they stole plus punitive damages? That's what the Bible is describing here. The answer is very clear. Now, in Sharia law, if you cut a man's hand off, is that just? You know, I mean, because he's going to be maimed for the rest of his life. He's going to be dependent on someone if he can't, you know, provide for himself because he has no hand or has a very difficult time providing for himself because he has no hand. Uh, and, and, you know, is that just? Or would it be better to make sure he works off what he's stolen and pays back the victim plus punitive damages. Now, I have asked this question of Muslims. I've asked this question of atheists. And I've asked this question of Christians. And the most negative responses I get are from Christians. Now, why would that be? I mean, if I just shared this with you right out of the Bible, shouldn't the Christians go, wow, that is terrific. I never knew that. That is awesome. Yeah, we should be following biblical law. Well, the reason they're hostile to it is because their church, their own personal love affair with their church has never taught that. So what I'm teaching you out of the Bible can't be right because their church is not wrong, ever wrong. And, I, you know, I may sound like I'm exaggerating here, but I'm not. Way too many Christians have made an idol of their church. In other words, their church can't do anything wrong. So if you show them something out of the Bible that contradicts something their church teaches or goes against something their church has taught, they'll reject what the Bible says and go with their church. Trust me, I've done this, I've experienced this numerous times. A Christian in a big box brand church, I don't know how other, other way to say it, these large, big large denomination churches, these people are enthralled with their church. Their limit to spreading the gospel is inviting people to come to their church. 
they don't teach the word of God. They simply invite people to their church. Uh, it's, it's, it's idol worship is what it is, and it's sin. The word of God is to be followed. The word of God is to be taken seriously. And if you're a Christian and you hear something that you didn't know in the word of God and you see that it's true, you're to accept it. You're not to go, well, my, my pastor's never taught that. Or my, I actually had a, 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 a long-standing Christian uh, that I went to church with and I shared something with him that the Bible said. And it was very, very clear. And he was you could tell he was really kind of troubled with it. He actually said to me, he goes, man, I'm reading the Bible like I've never read before because he was trying to understand what I was sharing with him, which is a, a podcast, a subject for a podcast I'll do later. Uh, but he said, you know, I'm really studying the Bible hard. I said, this is good. This is what you're supposed to do. Search and seek and question everything I tell you. Go to the Bible and try to figure it out. Uh, he was catching that what I was telling was true. He understood it, but he needed some confirmation that that gave him as a means to reject it. And he finally came back and told me that he went to his pastor with the subject and his pastor uh, talked about it with him and poo-pooed it. And that was all he needed to know. So he didn't want to look at the subject anymore. So in other words, his pastor was his Pope. His pastor was the final authority, not the Bible. His pastor was the final authority. And of course, there's numerous reasons for that. But anyway, it's real interesting how you can show this to an uh, a basic atheist or agnostic, and they'll go, yeah, I'm sick of getting my property stolen from me. I think that's great that I should have my property restored to me. Uh, you know, you ask anybody, have you ever had something significant stolen out of your life? Wouldn't you like to have it back plus punitive damages? They're all like, yeah, I think that would be great. Uh, the Muslim can look at that and go, gosh, the Bible has some pretty good wisdom there. Uh, may get the juices flowing in his brain, but you you tell this to a Christian, they get mad at you. I, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, this is how ridiculous American Christianity and American Christians have become. Uh, it's a sad fact that uh, there is a, a famous atheist, uh, Bertrand Russell, who said that Christians would rather die than think. In fact, they do. That's what he said. And he's right. Uh, Christians will not think outside the four walls of their own church. Whatever their pastor says is the gospel. And I, my pastor is teaching such good stuff. Uh, yeah, your pastor's not is hiding a great deal from you, and you're a fool if you if you believe a paid pastor. You'd better question everything a paid pastor tells you. Doggone it! I mean, tell I'm telling you right now. If he makes a living being a pastor, you'd better question everything he tells you. You, it's, you better do your due diligence to go to the scriptures and understand them better than he does, which is not hard to do, by the way. But anyway, let's look at this again a little closer because it says, whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle and for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Now, in biblical times, your sheep and your, your ox were your livelihood. I mean, because it was farmer. Everybody was a farmer. Uh, your ox basically was, I like to think of an ox as basically a, your tractor. It pulled your plow or it, it, it pulled your carts to take produce to market or what have you. Okay. Uh, an ox was your tractor, very important instrument in your farming. If somebody steals it, 
and sells it or steals it and slaughters it fivefold restitution. So it's restitution to the victim. It's not restitution to the state. It's not putting them in jail. It's paying back those who you stole from. Now, anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. That's what it says. It doesn't say restitution to the state. Obviously, it's restitution to the victim. They must, now, there's another aspect of this, which I'll go over in a minute, but uh, if the stolen animal is found alive, so in other words, you haven't sold it, you haven't slaughtered it, they're in possession of it, they're caught red-handed, they must pay back double. <clears throat> there's a time value of money here, obviously. Uh, anybody that's done any type of uh, financial studies understands the value, the time value of money. Uh, well, anyway, so st- caught red-handed, you're paying back double. Why double? Well, there's there's punitive damages for theft. You're a thief. Think for a minute. In the inner city run by Democrats, I call them demon rats because they're disgusting, filthy uh, Satan worshipers. Uh, Republicans are not far behind. There are a lot of good people in the Republican Party, meaning good voters who vote Republican. They're good people. Uh, I do think some Republicans need to wake up and realize your Republican Party, in a large sense, doesn't really support you either. But uh, nearly, not nearly as rotten to the core as the Democrats. They are demon rats, they are criminal crats, and they are disgusting. But most of these inner cities are run by demon, I call them demon rats, they're run by demon rats. So demon rats obviously don't want to put people in jail who are the people that vote them into office. So that's a problem. The other thing is demon rats despise the Bible and they disguise, despise God's word. So they're not going to follow God's word. But it's important for God's people to overcome the foolishness of God-haters and institute in our civil laws, laws that are consistent with the Bible, requiring thieves to pay back double what they stole if they're caught red-handed. So you catch all these looters and and thieves in the inner city that are rioting and looting you catch them red-handed you get the value of the item that's in their hands or in that they put in their car and drove away with uh you make them pay back to the store they they bought it from double what they stole if someone steals over a long period of time or if someone steals an item that's part of someone's livelihood like the oxen or the sheep that's how i interpret this anyway Uh, So if, let's say somebody steals somebody's livelihood, which by the way, these stores are, are, you know, they're selling products and people are stealing the products. That's their livelihood. You could make a case that they should pay back fourfold, maybe even fivefold, but let's just go with double fold. Restitution, caught red-handed. The reason these inner city police departments and court systems and mayors and even governors of the states don't do anything they let the rioting go on is because we've got crime crime is out of out of hand in this country and especially out of hand in inner cities they don't have any place to house these people they don't have the resources to handle all the court cases so they're forced they're forced to let it go on and let people's insurance pay for the losses because the the court systems can't handle all this, all these people. And of course, the people doing this know they can get away with it. That's why they do it. 
So this is this problem is going to get worse until we get a handle on it, and we can get a handle on it real quick by requiring restitution to the victim. Now, what if these people stealing this stuff, for example, sells it, uh, destroys it, and can't pay back double what they stole or fourfold what they stole? What if they can't pay it back? Well, listen, it says right here, but if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. Now, you're going to hear naysayers of the Bible say, well, the Bible supports slavery. And of course, you can very happily say, yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. And if you if it's explained in details of slavery for paying off debt or paying off, you know, for theft, you can get anybody to agree with it's a whole, far better way to handle theft than any other way we handle it. So yes, the Bible says they are to be sold. Now, we think in terms of slavery here. Uh, Bible even uses the word slavery uh, many times, and people think the Bible supports slavery, but always think of it in terms of justice. Anytime you hear of slavery in the Bible, for the most part, it's it's about justice, paying off debts. Uh, there's voluntary slavery, you know, indentured, indentured servitude was something that this country was founded on. People wanted passage to the new world, so they made an agreement with some landowner that, look, I'll work your land for six years or whatever if you'll pay for my passage. Uh, that's that's voluntary servitude, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a bargain. That's a deal. That's a good deal. Uh, people don't make deals unless both people feel like they are benefiting. So it's a deal. It's a, it's a, a contract. It's a good thing. Then there's there's slavery that has to do with paying off debt, and this is a good thing as well. Uh, you certainly don't want people having their property stolen and, you know, tough toenails. Uh, no, they need to have their property restored to them, and we need a justice system that acknowledges this. Otherwise, this this rioting and looting and destroying a property in the inner cities is going to continue to get worse. We'd better get a handle on it. And Bible, the Bible, the, the laws of the Bible are how we do this. But you need to know what they are. But unfortunately, you're going to a church, like most likely, that's not going to tell you. They're scared to death to talk about law, which, you know, think about it like this also. It's a whole lot easier to say we're not under any law than it is to say, well, yes, God's law doesn't pass away, so now we got to look at it, study it, and understand it. A whole lot easier just to sweep it under the rug, and you won't have to study it and understand it. And Christians have fallen for these lies from the pulpit. Uh, you know, these pastors go to seminary and they they get this all this education they're not taught old testament law and how it applies so they don't even know how to go about teaching the the serve you know their their followers so they just teach them the laws passed away it's very convenient but as you can see here with the law of theft it's not done away with all right so they should be sold and made to work off their debt now, let's say, for example, you have a business that, uh, you know, let's say you're a lawyer and someone steals from you uh, and they're caught and they're made to make restitution. They can't make restitution, so they're supposed to work for you. Now, there's another piece of the reason why there is a double restitution or four or five fold restitution. Let's just go with double to, for simplicity's sake so you can see this. You're a lawyer 
you don't have any work for this person because you, you do highly technical work. So you don't have anything they can do to work off their debt. Well, you, t- you hear in the Old Testament uh, examples of selling your slave. Well, yes, what would be great is you want full restitution for what was stolen. So let's say the theft, the thief stole $1,000 worth of property. He has to work off $2,000 worth of work. He has to do $2,000 worth of work. Well, let's say there's a farmer down the highway and he needs a, a harvesting done, needs his produce picked out of the field. The far the the lawyer can sell the slave to the farmer down the feet down the highway. Now the farmer down the highway would love to get two thousand dollars worth of labor, but only have to pay the lawyer fifteen hundred dollars. Now the fifteen hundred dollars covers the lawyer for the thousand dollars original theft. The the double fold restitution means there's room for selling the slave, selling the servant, selling the person paying off his debt to someone who could use the labor and civil institutions could facilitate this now obviously this is 10,000 times better than how we're handling people who who steal now in fact because we don't handle the way people steal now we're getting to the point where we don't do anything about people who steal now I'm going to give you a real life example I went to work uh, and drove my pickup truck. And that evening when I came home, I drove the delivery truck that we use because I needed to use it for something at home and I left my pickup truck in the parking lot. Overnight, someone crawled under the, my pickup truck and cut the catalytic converters out from under it. And when I come in the next morning, I saw the, the uh, exhaust pipe hanging down out of the truck and I crawled under it and saw what they'd done. I pretty much knew what they'd done because I'd heard of, I've heard of this theft before catalytic converters have precious metal in them so they can sell these things for the precious metal you know and i've heard stories that they can get 100 to 200 dollars per catalytic converter uh pretty good money for something that didn't take five minutes to um, crawl under a car and cut them out now i called roanoke city police where i uh where the theft occurred and roanoke city police wanted to know how much the value of the theft was of course, I didn't know. I thought, you know, I've done, I've had exhaust work done before. So I, I just told the, I, I'm, I'm, I was doing this totally naive. I told the um, dispatch on the phone that, you know, I don't really know, but I would guess somewhere in the neighborhood seven, eight hundred dollars to put new exhaust system under my truck. She said to me, "Well, we don't investigate theft under a thousand dollars." Now, that's obvious because if somebody steals 50 bucks, well, you know, why is the police going to get involved in that? That's, they're already tied down with too much, too many cr- criminals in, in, this, in the city anyway. They can't get bogged down with little theft. Well, over time, as more and more crime grows, they're going to have to raise the amount they'll investigate. Instead of $1,000, they may have to raise it to $2,000 worth of value before they'll even consider it. So in other words, I, as a victim of a crime, you know, I was just screwed, you know, to keep my insurance down, I had a thousand dollar deductible. So I basically, I had to come up with a $700 or $800, whatever it was to get my truck repaired. This is total, total injustice to me, the victim, but this, the Christians are silent on this subject. So we elect politicians that don't believe in following biblical law and instituting biblical law as, as the civil law of our 
of our cities, of our state, of our country. And so injustice is getting out of hand. Theft is getting out of hand. And they and the thieves know it. I mean, with a policy like that, uh, any thief knows as long as they steal less than $1,000, the police aren't going to investigate it. So they'll just sneak around and steal stuff and steal a little here, steal a little there, and not get caught while they're stealing, do it in the middle of the night. Police aren't going to investigate it as long as the value is not over $1,000. I don't know what it's like in a lot of other cities, but I'd be willing to bet that it may be even higher. Uh, you have to steal something big like an automobile before police will, will investigate it. Uh, petty theft, they don't care. Well, they can't care. It's understandable. Now, people say, well, that's the Old Testament. You're going to get naysayers say, ah, that's the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to read a passage of out of uh, the Gospels. Uh, if I remember correctly, this was Luke. Uh, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short, he was short of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste to come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down, and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, meaning the crowd, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Now, of course, the Jews all called uh, tax collectors sinners, and it was a policy. Everybody knew that tax collectors were thieves. Everybody knew that tax collectors came and made, uh, basically told the taxpayer you owe a certain amount when they actually owed a little bit less, and then they pocketed the difference. And everybody knew they were doing it, and they resented Jews collecting taxes from Jews on behalf of uh, you know, the Roman government. So tax collectors were hated, and it was a notorious that tax collectors were thieves. So if you were a tax collector, you were automatically basically branded as a thief. So this crowd called this tax collector a thief. They assumed that he was a, that he was a thief. Notice it says here, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, look, uh, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So Zacchaeus is telling Jesus, I'm going to keep the Old Testament law. I will pay back four times what I've stolen. Now, now in reading this, I think Zacchaeus was basically telling, look, I have not wronged anyone, but if I have, I will pay back fourfold because I know that's my legal requirement by you, God. Zacchaeus was a Christian. Zacchaeus was a Christian because he understood that he had to follow biblical law. Just because he was rich didn't mean he was a thief. But it did. he did illustrate here that he was willing to follow Old Testament law. Now, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was certainly a sinner, because we're all sinners. But Zacchaeus demonstrated his faith by saying, I will keep your law. And I think doublefold, he was illustrating to Jesus, look, I've not stolen from anyone, but if I have, I'll pay back fourfold. 
fourfold restitution to the victims. Uh, it's fourfold because, you know, tax collecting theft would be a theft that would be going on over a long period of time. Uh, so it would be a fourfold restitution to the victim. Um, that's how I interpret this. And it makes sense. Obviously, it would, you know, if you have somebody that's stealing money from, you know, uh, extorting money over a long period of time, it may be very difficult to find all the victims and find all the amount. Um, so not being able to find the f- exact full amount, you're, you're required to pay fourfold. This just makes common sense. So anybody running a Ponzi scheme today, you know, and they're defrauding people over a long period of time, if they get caught running a Ponzi scheme and convicted, obviously convicted in a court uh, of jurors to hear evidence and convict, uh, that Ponzi scheme uh, perpetrator must pay back fourfold what he stole to the victims. Uh, which means he's going to be a slave for the rest of his life <laughs> because he probably doesn't have fourfold. Uh, this obviously will prevent, you know, if you know you're going to make yourself a slave if you get caught. Uh, what happens today is Ponzi's uh, operators go to jail for five or ten years. A big deal when they get out, they're multimillionaires because they don't confiscate their money. Although, although you know, what they do is they hide their money in places where uh, governments can't confiscate. Now, governments will come in and confiscate everything you own if they and they do that unjustly by the way uh, they will come and confiscate your assets even if some assets weren't acquired by some crime you've committed and that's unjust but that's that's a whole other issue that we can maybe talk about later but fourfold restitution will prevent people from doing these ponzi schemes now i've often thought about this in terms of uh, corporations uh, corporations want to maximize profits, obviously. A lot of times corporations will leverage itself into a lot of debt. And they know they can just, you know, for the, if leveraging doesn't work out, they'll just bankrupt the company and walk away from the debt. Well, that's stealing from investors and that's stealing from, uh, you know, probably suppliers uh, of materials or whatever in a business. Uh, and they just get, they just get screwed on that. Well, if you follow biblical law, the board of directors should be required to make restitution. Well, if they're required to make restitution rather than just filing bankruptcy and walking away, uh, going and get other jobs at other corporations where they can maximize profit, profit for, a shor- for a short term and make some people rich real quick and then, and then bankrupt the company, that that's kind of stuff goes on. If the board of directors were required to make restitution for the decisions they make, they would obviously quit doing that. Biblical law benefits the society, and anybody that tells you we're not under Old Testament law, you can basically, hopefully, verbally, with this, with this podcast and what you've learned here, verbally slap them because they don't know what they're talking about. They know nothing about the Old Testament law here. Uh, this is a simple, simple, thou shalt not steal requirement of how you handle people that do steal. To illustrate, the Old Testament law still applies, and you're a cuckoo bird if you think it doesn't. You're a, you're a crackpot if you say, no, 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 we're still not to follow the Old Testament law. Now, one more thing. To illustrate that we followed biblical law, 
in the founding of this country and even as late uh, as late as 1865. Now, what am I referring to is the 13th Amendment. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, I ask them, you know, have you ever read the 13th Amendment? And when I'm talking to people about theft and restitution to the victim, have you ever read the 13th Amendment? I'm going to read it to you re- re- real quick. Now, the 13th Amendment, by the way, was passed after the Civil War to outlaw slavery. What was practiced in this country was not a form of servitude for theft or for indebtedness or voluntary. It was based on man-stealing. It was based on tribes in Africa, black tribes, who were being captured by other black tribes and sold to Europeans who brought them to this country. And the first, the first slaves that came to uh, the American continent was in 1619. Now, probably there were slaves if you went back and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that, because slavery has been around forever. Every people have experienced some form of slavery, so it's not, it's not anything new. Uh, America is guilty of slavery, but we're not the first ones that have done this. But anyway, man-stealing is uh, a punishable by death. Now, we get this out of Exodus 21, 16, quote, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. So in other words, these people that were warring in Africa, stealing other Africans and selling them to, to European slave traders, all of these slave traders and the, the warriors in Africa are all guilty of a capital crime. This, the slavery that was practiced in this country was sinful. Very, very sinful. Uh, and this is why, you know, people like Thomas Jefferson said all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with inalienable or unalienable rights, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. The slave was denied any form of that freedom guaranteed by God. Uh, and we get these guarantees right out of reading Exodus 21, for crying out loud. Uh, you know, people have the right to freedom and not to be stolen. That's a right given to us by God right here in this law when you read it. So when we outlawed slavery with the 13th Amendment, we were outlawing the sinful form of slavery. But right here written in the 13th Amendment is allowing for the biblical form. Let me read it to you. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. This is the 13th Amendment, outlawing chattel slavery, sinful man-stolen slavery, outlawing it but making sure they allowed for the biblical form. Now, you know, looking back in history, it's easy to be a a Monday morning quarterback. I wish this... uh, Amendment to the United States Constitution had been written this way, except as a punishment for crime of theft or indebtedness. Because to my knowledge, this is the only crime in which uh, slavery is biblical and justified. 
but it left it wide open. And now in leaving it wide open, what the southern states did after the Civil War, uh, even though slaves had been set free, they, they read into this, well, if, you've been part, if they've been convicted of a crime, then you can go back to slavery. So what they did immediately was start convicting black people of, of petty crimes, nothing crimes, and put them right back in slavery. And they would say, well, you know, the exception to the rule here is they've been convicted of crime, so we're not in violation of the 13th Amendment, and put them right back in slavery. So the North was, you know, constantly fighting with the South that was determined to keep their slaves. So the 13th Amendment, even though it is biblical, uh, it, is not, it was not specific enough. It was an oversight when they passed it. Um, but you can see that there is a biblical form, and even in 1865, we as Americans recognized the biblical form. Virtually no American recognizes the biblical form in churches today. They don't teach it. They're scared to death to teach it. Well... I hope this has been helpful to you. You know, the, the news business, uh, you know, there's an adage that says no news is bad news. Good news is dull news and bad news makes great copy. So when you're reading, when you're, you know, watching the news, you got to understand, gosh, it's bad news all the time. Well, that's because that's what causes you to watch. All right. Well, I've kind of likened American Christianity to this in a sense. In American Christianity, it goes like this. Bad news is bad preaching. Uh, honest news is divisive preaching. And good news makes great and profitable preaching. Okay? So this is what you get from the pulpit is they teach a good, loving Oh, God loves you with such intense love. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to have a great life. You know, there's preachers that write books, your best life now, all this garbage, and they get filthy rich off this. Uh, they don't teach anything of, of substance. They don't teach anything of value. They don't teach anything that transforms society uh, as God knows that his law will trans, you know, transform society. Um. Uh, the reality is, is a, you know, a God without commandments is worse than no God at all. And we have, in American Christianity, a commandless God. We painted a picture of a God without commandments. And we are, we are as a result, destroying ourselves. American Christianity has become a joke. It is pathetic. It has been sold. I've often thought of writing a book, and on the cover of the book, I would put the picture of a cross with a for sale sign hanging on it because that's what American Christianity has done. We've sold Christianity, sold it out. It's really, really profitable if you tickle everybody's ears. So to heck with the truth. Give us the money. That's what's going on. Uh, not trying to shock you for the sake of shocking you. I am trying to tell you the truth and show you what's going on. If you are a true Christian, you're bound to notice the truth and what I've shared with you here about the commandment, thou shalt not steal. God has many laws on how you handle those who steal. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. My next podcast, I'm going to talk about thou shalt not bear false witness and all the implications that go with that. What do you do if someone does bear false witness? The Bible tells you that, it tells you how to handle it. And when I show you what it is, 
you're going to see that we can solve a great deal of societal problems, legal problems that we have in this culture and in this country just by following and applying a simple commandment of God. Thank you for listening.